Welcome to Capital P and People Work, where we discuss the intersection of people, wellness, and the future of work. I am your host, Gabby Lubin, CEO and founder of Spark to Stay, the two-sided platform that equips employees with wellness and HR people professionals with data. And today I'm joined by Jim Conti, the talent partner at Hyde Park Venture Partners, a well-known prominent venture capital firm in Chicago. Jim has been with the firm since 2021, and in his talent partner role, he provides strategic talent support and consulting to the firm's portfolio companies. Prior to Hyde Park Venture Partners, Jim served as head of people at Discount and Sprout Social, both Chicago-based sophomore startups. And in these roles, Jim Belt grew and oversaw teams across recruitment, talent management, DEI, culture, HR, and benefit strategy, the whole slew. Um, his, the impact of his work is seen in numerous awards from Glassdoor, Chicago Tribune, Crane Chicago, and Built in Chicago. To say the least, I am excited to have Jim on the podcast because we have had conversations before, but they have not been recorded. And this time we get the privilege of sharing that with all of you. Um, I met Jim a few months ago when we ran into each other at a startup ecosystem um, award ceremony at 1871. And it's just been a pleasure to get to know you more. So thanks, Jim, for coming on. Gabby, yeah, thanks so much for having me. I would like to note that when we first met, we were about 30 seconds into our conversation, and then you were pulled away for a founder spotlight interview, <laughs> at which point I was just starstruck. So I think it is a mutual, mutual uh, excitement about the conversation today, uh, and just glad to be here. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate that. <laughs> Maybe we'll put it in the show notes what that actual spotlight was. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, fair. <laughs> um, today, really excited because I think we're going to be talking more about why it's important to invest in people in a business before there's a fire. Um, before we dig into all the nuances and the details there, because I'm sure we'll be able to get into a lot um, on this podcast, we really value both the human and their accomplishments. So, Jim, tell me who who are you as a human? Oh gosh, like let's start with the deep questions, right? My yeah. goodness, my goodness. So so when I was reflecting on this question, the the first place my brain goes is that when I identify, when I think about who I identify as and how I identify in the world, I think about it a lot in relation to my relationships, to those that I'm close with in my life. So I think about uh, my friends, my family, my coworkers and colleagues who have all had a, a small part in helping form who I am today. And it's really cool when I have a moment when I see parts of those people and kind of who I am today. So that can range from my mom, who was the director of HR for a hardware uh, tech company all growing up. And as much as we might try to land farther away from our parents, um, I have followed in her <laughs> footsteps and so very much have that people centricity and that hopefully warmness. Um, it's something that, that I'm always proud of. And when I think about who my mom is in the world, she's just such a warm person and, and welcoming to everyone. And I hope that that's part of her that I've taken with me. Um, I think a lot about past uh, co-workers and managers that I've had, uh, ranging from uh, the, the first person I got to hire onto my team at Sprout Social, Molly Jones, who uh, is still with Sprout today, but is someone that I have taken a lot of my uh, levity and, and, and approach to life, um, just how she views uh, the world and how she views just how the, the kind of goings on in, in, in the world. Um, 
with a little bit of lightheartedness and a little bit of, of uh, carefreeness that I really respect. Um, but she does it in a way that is very close to those that she's close to. And so takes really good care of those in her network. And so that's something I feel like I picked up from her. Um, to, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll include the the dogs that I live with, uh, Sophie and Ombre, my two pups. Um, they have, uh, have reminded me to slow down, especially across the last couple of years here with COVID that literally and figuratively like slowing to smell the roses and, and, and thinking about kind of what does my day consist of and um, making sure that I have more in my day of what I love and want, um, which often is more time with them. So um, throw that out there too. I love that. I love that. I love asking this question first too, because it's just so revealing as to what people like to share and like who we don't like get down to the essence of who people are necessarily, but it helps just like show the context of, of what you're going to share with us, right? It helps totally. us understand that you are a relational person, which is no surprise because we connected initially because we were both former educators. And I think uh -huh. the really interesting like educator to HR people lens is a pretty consistent like um, movement from understanding who people are and teaching those people into like growing them as adults because children and adults are the same as uh oh. As we know, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I think so much about how teachers, when we when we talk about those transferable skill sets, the common conversation I have with my teacher friends is that you know you know what you call it within education, but I promise that skill set has another name elsewhere. And so when I think about how an educator is able to cater to the student population, to their coworkers and administration, to the parents, to the community, they have so many different uh, kind of stakeholders within that classroom with them. And I think about HR teams, right? You're working with your employees, potentially your customers contractors, freelancers, which is a different relationship than your employees, your your admin team, your leadership team. I have just so many different angles in that way. And so, yeah, I would agree with you. I see a lot of that same connection myself and um, always love when I find a, a former educator within the, the tech circles we float in now. It's so good. We, we just, we love it. We love, we love the education connection. Okay. Amazing. So Jim, the podcast's name is Capital P. And so we like to ask all of the people who come onto our show, what is their capital P word for people work right now? Um, I've floated from presence to prioritize to, hmm, I'm not actually sure what a third word is, but we've had some really awesome um, words that people have been honing in on for themselves when they come to the table. So what is your capital P word for today? I don't know that I'm going to say I'm creative with this one. It's maybe one that has been brought up before, but passion. Ooh, that, is the, that has got to be no first time. It hasn't. Yeah. You're the first. You did it. I played it. It's mine. Passion. It's funny. As I've talked to people about my kind of career trajectory, folks are kind of like, oh, you started in education and worked in nonprofit, and then you moved to the tech world, and now you're in VC world. Like, there's some, there's some through lines there, but they're a little random. It, for me, it's really a passion around people. I, I find myself lucky and privileged to be in conversations where I get to bear witness to people's stories and journeys, hearing what they are passionate about, what they're building towards and striving towards. And I think that that is just a really cool place that I get to float in the world. And so when I think about the various ways that it has applied, whether it's in the classroom, whether it's bringing people on board with the mission of a nonprofit, um, finding connection between someone's skill set and an emerging tech company, or in my current role in the VC world, helping uh, whether with candidates, with founders, um, with communities, um, being able to be present and part of those. I think a lot of just like my passion for people um, and that that is such a core driver behind everything that I do and, and kind of why I exist in the world, I think. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, I love passion. I, th I think I 
that is one of the reasons why I burned out in education specifically because I had too much passion for what I was doing. Um, but it has also made me really successful in the work that I'm doing as an entrepreneur because if I am not deeply passionate about the problem that I am solving, then it is much harder for me to wake up and, and keep doing it day after day. So 110%, 110%. And as a founder, make sure you take care of yourself too, because oh. don't go on the other side of that passion. Yep. yep oh yep. yeah. That is the best part about being a wellness founder is that I have to walk the walk. So I do, I do, which is nice. Good, good. good. Um, so we've had a bunch of different people on the show. Some are investors, some are um, in internally HR people, officers, some are fractional HR, um, like Camone that, um, I connected you with. So hopefully have a good conversation with her. Um, but your role is very different from what is typically people HR. So talk to us, what does your day-to-day look like? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question because, um, I, as, uh, we've chatted about a little bit, I had not had the privilege of working with a talent partner before. So I'd been at two venture back companies, Collectively, we probably had between six and eight VCs that were behind us. There were some that were kind of minority investors, so I, I'm, I'm maybe forgetting a few in that list, but none of them had a person in a role like what I'm in today. So what was exciting about stepping into this new opportunity with High Park is that neither High Park had this role before, nor had I been in the role or worked with it before. So we, we really had an open slate to be able to kind of define what it was going to look like. And, and it's taken some time for us to calibrate of finding like the right balance of, of those pieces. But today where I find kind of my uh, greatest happiness, the days when I'm most excited, is really when I have a split between my two primary functions. So on one side of that is HR consulting with our portfolio. So being able to connect directly with our founders, executive teams, and as they continue to grow, the HR teams that they're starting to build and really be a partner with them as they're thinking through people challenges that they're facing. That can range in anything from, hey, we're hiring a first head of marketing and we don't know how to do that. Can you help us think that through to uh, a CEO having conflict with their co-founder and needing to kind of have that, that uh, coach slash therapist to help them navigate that conversation to building complex uh, benefit programs and compensation programs and career leveling and all of those pieces that a scaling business needs to start to build out and start to perfect so that they can be one competitive on the market two successful as a business um, and, and kind of all of the other parts that fall into that. That's kind of on, on one side. On the other side is, is what I would describe as a mix of community building, networking, and executive recruitment. And so I, I kind of give that a very broad scope uh, because in order to do my HR consulting piece well, I don't have all of the answers. I have some ideas that I think can, can help out. But a lot of the time, the question that comes my way is not something I'm an expert in. But where I do have expertise is being able to tap into the network and find someone that can help answer that question. And so that's why I said it's kind of a community, networking, and executive service. So when I think about kind of those three pieces, I think about making sure that I have the stable in place for uh, to be able to best support our founders, so that I can have someone help answer any question that comes in. And so whether that is connecting our subject matter expert who's able to help out with a tricky situation that they're trying to think about, or maybe a vendor that's able to provide a service that they're looking for. Um, so that is a big part of my job as well, is just having that kind of broad stable, that broad Rolodex to be able to help support our founders and, and really kind of power that HR consulting side. Amazing. That makes so much sense why you've had these wonderful, awesome events that are really big connecting events for other people, not just for you to sit down and be like, hey, I want to talk to you about this and how we can help. You know, um, you're really that person that's bringing folks together to 
build community. And by building that community, that's helping you and your portfolio company succeed. So tell me, Hydeberg Ventures uh, is a relatively early stage venture capital firm. And for folks who may not be as well versed in, in venture capital or startups, fundraising, et cetera, um, venture capital is one avenue to propelling startups, right? It's one avenue to um, getting what you have out there faster. Um, they don't necessarily, Hyperic Ventures don't necessarily only invest in future of work startups, which is where we happen to be. You guys invest in lots of things, but you're relatively early stages, which is really interesting to have someone like you on the team because it, you know, these problems, quote unquote problems that start to happen in um, the people space happens, I would say when I'm hearing like series A and beyond, because that's when you're hiring a lot more people and there's a lot more happening in the organization. So what was the catalyst for Hyperc Ventures to want to bring someone like you on? Yeah, it's a great question. So when we're looking to make an investment, we look to check three boxes and then kind of dive into diligence from there. So uh, first is going to be geographic. We invest in what we describe as the mid-continent. So think of Chicago as kind of a central point to that. The U.S. Midwest plus Toronto and Atlanta mixed in there. Um, really regions and metros where coastal funds have have largely overlooked or literally flown over. Um, and so we, we find that there are incredible companies being built in these regions. And so we want to make sure that we are a partner to those founders as they are building those businesses and help be a support across that journey. Uh, second, we're technology investors, usually software. We have a couple things outside of pure software, so I'll say technology is a broad umbrella, but usually software. Uh, and then third, to your exact point, early stage. We are typically cutting a first check somewhere between uh, pre-seed and Series A rounds, uh, and we strive to not be a one-check VC. So mm -hmm. ideally, we are identifying founders and teams that are um, going to be successful and then prove out that success, and that we can continue to invest with them across time. And so that can be through several more rounds um, and, and other kind of partnerships there. And so to your question of, of where did the impetus for this role come, given the stage that we invest at, almost dollar for dollar, that investment gets turned around into salary on the other side. Mm -hmm. Founders are using those dollars to then hire software engineers, account executives, marketing folks to build, market, bring to market the, the product or service that they are, they are um, that is their, their mission and their, their vision of, of uh, what they're building. And so with that in mind, the team here at High Park had a very natural thought of if that's where our dollars are going almost 100%, we should make sure that we're supporting those founders and teams to do that well. And so that's where my position was born out of. And very much the profile they were looking for when I was coming in was someone who had done that job before, someone who'd come in as an early talent hire within a tech startup and built that function from the ground up. So kind of uh, obviously when you come into a business, um, especially in kind of the, the time period that I'm talking about, you know, it might be around a series A. I tend to find that the first talent hire comes in, usually a recruiter, uh, maybe around 25 to 35 employees, and then you kind of scale from there. I say that because recruiting was already happening, right? There's already employees in the business. And so this function is a duality of like a person that can do a thing, but also a person that's able to come in and kind of pull those pieces off of everyone else's plate, pull it together into a uniform function. And as we're going to talk about a little bit more today, really focus on that employee experience and ensuring that that is a key differentiator for you as a business. So all of that to say, Hyde Park made a very natural uh, kind of connection of if this is where our dollars are going, let's ensure that our founders are doing that well, that they have the support resources, counsel to be able to, to execute well on that, that people side of the business. It's amazing. Um, I think it really makes you all an outlier in the investor 
space. And as a founder, it helps me see that you all are more founder first than some other investors are, which again, as a founder, you're like, well, I want people to invest in me and the business, but like knowing and trusting that I can figure out like where it's going to head, how to hire. And I want counsel in doing that. I think um, it's just, it's so critical. So thank you for the work that you do from all founders. It is appreciated. <laughs> I love it. 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 I think one thing I just want to add to that because yeah. plus one to everything you just said, and that's something that I've been, I consider myself fortunate that High Park has that mentality. And that's a firm that I came into. And, and the way that I kind of talk about a little bit with my role is the menu of options approach. So when one of our founders reaches out with like a, Hey, here's a thing going on. My response is kind of this like selection of saying like, what do you need from me to be successful here? Cause sometimes it's just a little bit of counsel. So like 15, 20 minutes on the phone. Sometimes it's a connection to a, a vendor or a service provider that's able to do a thing. Sometimes it's a connection to a subject matter expert, right? So it's, it's really responding and trying to meet that founder where they are and identifying like, what, what do you need in this moment to kind of get through this and be ready for what's next. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, Hmm. Okay. So transitioning a little bit, I want to ask, um, what lights you up about this work? Mm, That's a great question. I mean, there are different parts of it. I think the part that I've maybe been happily surprised about, so that's maybe where I will focus, happily surprised about is just how much energy I get from the passion of our founders. Mm -hmm. When I get on a call with one of our founders and I'm chatting through, whether it's just our first intro call to kind of just get to know each other and make sure they understand what I can help support them on, uh, or if it's something where we're diving a little bit deeper into like an actual project or or issue or or, um, kind of future planning thing that we're working on. It is incredible to just see the 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 sheer passion that comes through those conversations. And for me, I'm a classic extrovert in this way. So I get tons of energy from that. So those conversations are the ones where I kind of like walk away, you know, kind of close the computer, hang up the phone, and I'm just like, Ooh, all right, let's go. Let's go do this. So so it's it's, you know, I, I have to give huge kudos to our founding teams because they're the ones that offer that passion up to me and, and give me that energy. Um, so thank you to them. Uh, but that is definitely the, the point in my day when I am most excited when I get to have that kind of a conversation um, and being able to connect really closely with our teams. So then on the flip side, what do you think lights them up about working? Not specifically, I mean, yes, with you, but being able to have a support like you. Yeah. I actually think it relates a little bit to what you said before. Uh-huh. It's it's the, as a founder, you have a belief that the thing you are building is going to, going to be a success in the world, right? That's kind of inherent, I think, to having to, if you're going to be a founder, I think that's inherent to being a founder. Like you yep. have to believe in what you're building. Yep. And so that can be a very lonely experience, especially as you're building something that likely hasn't existed before. And so when I think about the role that I play, and I really think about this, about the role of our investment team, because they're often the ones having those first conversations. I come in post-deal. So I'm I'm after, you know, we've already cut a check. But I look at our investment team, that they are able to partner up with a founder and say, like, I believe in this too. Like, I believe in you. And that moment, I think, is super cool. Um, so I would say that that's where... Um, not, not universally, but a lot of our founders find that kind of like oomph, that that kind of like jolt to their system that they were looking for of like, oh, someone else believes in this as well. Um, yeah. So I think that that's probably like the first place that my brain goes with that question. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's so critical, those first few hires that you make, it will make 
make or break your business. And it's not even just, I mean, yes, the compliance. And like, I feel like that's something that I uh, earlier stages got hung up on, like figuring out, is this legal? Like, am I allowed to do this? I don't know, but um, it's worked out so far. So I think I've, I've made some good choices. Um, but, you know, <clears throat> So we're, we're small. We don't have a ton of people on our team, just about um, 10 people, including our contractors. Um, so far internally, we've been really focused on kind of doing the, the people function on our own. Um, and even at the beginning, I'd say like um, about halfway into the founding of our business, I was really, really focused on culture building and intentionally making sure that people felt like they had psychological safety, that they had flexibility as they needed to, really that emotional component of being on a team, which I'm very glad that I did because I helped, you know, lay the groundwork for where we are now, even though our team has changed some. Um I know not all founders get to that. Not all founders are focused on that. I'm not saying I am a great founder because I did that. I've made plenty of other mistakes, but um, where, like, where and when should people be investing in their company in this people operations, knowing that not everyone we're talking to necessarily are early stage founders, it could be people from uh, lots of other sizes of companies, but what, what is that like ping to you? Oh, we need more help. This is when we should start doing X. Yeah. 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 It's a good question. So this might sound a little, a little bit of an odd answer, um, <laughs> but I almost think of like the food pyramid or the reimagined. I grew up with a food pyramid today. It's like a food plate, it's like a circle and there's like some yep. wedges of the pie. So I think about it a little bit that way in the sense that as you build a business, you have to have eyes on each of those big buckets across your journey. Now, early in, 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 in a founding period, there might be a stronger focus on the product and technical side of things, right? Like actually getting a thing built that you can bring to market or might be a heavier focus on the go-to-market strategy, right? So those are different pieces of that pie there. But the people operations piece is part of it too, right? So I think a lot about how founders need to kind of balance across all of those. And if they're indexing too far on one or the other, there's one that's getting too far ahead. The others are going to start pulling that back and not making the strides that you're making successful. And so the the general kind of mentality I have is like needed to keep kind of eyes on all of these different pieces. The other thing that I kind of go to from there um, is actually a conversation that I had with one of our search partners relatively recently. And the um, the the thing that they were talking about, because we we're talking about like, when do you know you need to hire a first head of a function. Mm -hmm. And so that what they were talking about was that you shouldn't start to consider hiring that head of until things start to break, that that's actually ideally what starts to happen. Because for a founder, it helps you start to define what this person will contribute to the business outside of what you can do. And I thought that was a really interesting way to think about it. Now, it's a little scary, probably as a founder to hear the concept of like, let things start to break before you go and you kind of do things for it. But I think there's something in there that really resonates with me around like, um, you know, don't, don't try and fix things that aren't broken yet. Um, yeah. Especially you have so many things to worry about. So pay attention kind of those different pieces of the pie that I was talking about, thinking about when do pieces of those start to break. So as you were just describing with your team, that real focus on culture, probably kind of push that people operations piece a little further than maybe the product and technical piece or the go-to-market strategy piece or some of the other elements. And so now you can let that kind of continue to marinate and kind of be what it is while you focus on some of the other pieces. But keeping eyes on it that when that starts to break again, that means your time needs to go back to it. And if you as a founder don't have the time to put towards it, then that's when we're starting to think about bringing people in. 
It's a little easier to see that in things like engineering, because if you're not a technical founder, you are like, I don't know how to code. So like, there's a very clear like boundary that I'm hitting about being able to build this thing. I recognize that people can be a little bit harder to see that. So I think it's really important to have really strong lines of communication with your team so that they are able to bring that feedback back to you. I love you brought up the concept of psychological safety, especially in those early days where as a founder, you might not be able to give that person the amount of time that you want to to help support them as they are figuring out their own function and, and kind of um, settling into the business, making sure that you establish those lines of communication so the team members can bring forward to you, hey, this thing is starting to break. Like this isn't working well. I need someone to help me with this. And that you as a founder can then make the informed choice of, do I have the time to work on this? And if I don't, now it's time to start bringing in some of those other resources. I love, I love that. I think it makes a lot of sense. And as a founder, it makes me feel relieved. If it isn't broken, don't fix it. Yeah. There's just, there, there are so many other things that we're focused on. Um, Yeah. I, so in your in your work now and the companies that you are supporting, I guess you're starting to bring more of these head of roles. So maybe not all companies are there, but um, what I have started to notice is that we're seeing a shift in the people space away from HR and more towards people. Talk to me. Is that what you're seeing? And if so, what what do you think is the difference in that shift? Yeah. So it's a great question. I was actually just chatting with a, an HR colleague of mine, and we were talking about how the differentiator is whether or not you see people in the title or HR in the title. So it's funny you're making that differentiation, right? It's there. real. So exactly, it's a big yep. differentiator. Yep. That's literally what we were talking about. So, so I think that my brain goes to HR as a function was a very admin oriented function previously. It was a very, you know, paper and, and compliance and those, those things are still part of it but they are not all of it. And I would say that where people teams have an opportunity and this became particularly salient in the kind of COVID period, so post-March 2020 here, there were a lot of questions of how to rally teams together and be able to ensure that teams were gonna be successful in this kind of constant change and constant tumult that came in that 2020 period. And so for HR teams that were ready for that challenge, that were inspired by you know, making sure they're doing best by their teams and employees, that, that they really were able to rally around that. And I think that what we saw during that, not I think that what we saw, but I know we saw during that period was some wildly innovative programs, initiatives, like ways that people were thinking about evolving benefits programs, evolving leave programs to really meet the needs of employees. And then you saw employees drawn to that, right? So you had companies that were doing a really great job of that, getting that message out there through their employer branding and bringing those teams in. So where I think we are today, obviously the the economy has shifted a bit, right? We're in a a different place today than we were a year ago, than we were in the 2020 period. And and even in that kind of scary economic time, very different type of scary than we're in right now. Um, And so when I think about people teams right now, I'm definitely seeing kind of a a bifurcation, a kind of dividing of the ways of whether or not teams stick with this kind of innovative uh, people teams as a partner to the business uh, type of direction, or if they're falling back into more of that like HR admin kind of bucket. Yeah. Um, I, I wish I could have 
a clear definition of where I see that divide, or if there's like indicators that like show like one side or the other. One, I think health of the business is going to be helpful there to like indicate that. Two, I think it's how much the particularly CEO, but also the rest of the executive team values the people of the business as a true differentiator for them to be successful in their in their build, in the market that they're in, in the industry that they're in. Um, and where people are not the differentiator, I think that's where you're starting to see some of that slide back. Um, Finally, I would say that it's, it's um, I think too often, those types of updates and changes get associated with cost to the business. And so it gets confused with cost where there are parts of it that can have money associated to it. But I also think a lot about like, who do we as a business wanna be in the world? And are we being that to our employees first? Um, and so it's a little bit of an ill-defined uh, metric, if you will. But I, I think it's a lot about like, having the leadership team really reflect on like, who are we trying to be in the world and what do we want? Um, what do we want to be known for? And I think that starts with that employee experience. You know, your um, predictions and my predictions are, seem very well aligned. And what I've been talking about with other folks is, is especially with this change in the economy, starting to see that divide really happen between different kinds of companies that are investing and understand their people versus um, companies that aren't. And I think the best delineator of those two is seeing what the title of that person is, even if mm -hmm. they have a similar function and role, like I think that is maybe the best indicator, um, which is just fascinating. And I think We'll see down the line because I've been looking deeper into uh, generational data here and realizing that by 2030, 58% of the working population is going to be Gen Z or millennial. Really? Those people are going to probably be in organizations with people heads versus HR heads is, is my guess. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think that you're pretty spot on with kind of seeing that, that generational shift happening. And, um, you know, especially, especially I would say how Gen Z has entered the workforce over the last few years. I first will give a, 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 a broad generational congrats because yes. it has been a rough market for the last few years. And so if you're just starting out your career, um, this is, this is a tough time to do it. So I recognize that, but I, I'm, I'm really proud to see generationally, particularly with Gen Z, how even with that challenge, they have stood by what they want that experience to feel like and what their expectations of employers look like. Um, I'm hopeful that employers can continue, continue to rally to that challenge, just like they do to customer feedback, right? Mm -hmm. Like I think that there's always this like centricity around the customer is always right and customer feedback into the, the product roadmap, all of which is great. But when that's completely ignored on the employee side is kind of wild to me. I'm like, we already know this. So like, why not just do it? And so I'm, I'm hopeful that as the generational cohorts continue to evolve, that, and, and particularly with how Gen Z has entered the workforce, that we have more of that employee centricity, um, ensuring that we're building more human businesses um, as we continue to grow. I don't think companies are going to have the option soon, personally. That's also <laughs> true. Because <laughs> <laughs> either... Because I, I would say that, I mean, they will, but it's just going to be a revolving door, right? Like that's, yeah. I was talking to a, a marketing leader down in the Atlanta region and we were talking about this exact thing. She was at a presentation and um, a CEO was like, nah, we're swinging, the pendulum swinging back. It's going to be an employer market. And she was like, that's not what I want. And so what we were talking about is that like, the, we'll concede it, continue to see this bifurcation, but for the folks that are on the 
um, at companies that are on the side of not being employee centric, those employees are always going to be one foot out the door. So while while there will be people there, you, you, those retention rates are just going to be revolving doors. That's that's my prediction as those right. folks are looking for the employee centric employer. And they may not be growing in the business, which yeah. is a problem in and of itself, which I know there are certain organizations, I could name a few, but I won't, um, that don't have, you know, learn career development built mm-hmm. into their actual organization, which I know is like another really hot topic, I would say second to wellness right now in organizations, like can I grow in the company and what does that look like? So yeah, it's been really, we have had a few um, learning and development people on the podcast to talk about this. And I really love the, just how those conversations are so parallel um, and how critical it is to be thinking about both of them in conjunction with each other. Yeah, yeah. So I could ask about 10,000 other questions, but we don't have a ton more time. So I'm going to ask you, what other predictions do you have for future of work? Like, where are we going other than this possible delineation and this focus on needing to hmm, think about Gen Z at least? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I I think this is like a paired concept next to wellness. Um, and I'll make I'll make sure I make that connection if I don't um I'll make sure I come back to that connection if I don't make it initially. Um compensation. Um yeah. I think that the current push around uh transparency in job ads, having more of that transparency internal in organizations, while it is a hard thing to figure out, and for those of us that are in the seats trying to figure it out, can can I'm sure all listening to this and being like, yes, it's hard to figure out. It's a good thing to figure out. It is ultimately, I think, going to make more equitable, stronger businesses with employees that understand that they are valued for what they bring to the bring to the business um, in a way that was very hard to know or feel or feel confident on the other side. So where am I connecting this with wellness? When I think about wellness, I think about wellness, not just, and I'm sure that you'll agree with me on this, not just in in, in physical health, but it's in mental health, it's in financial health, it's in emotional health. Um, And so when I think about what we as employers are able to do for our employees, while, while some questions are hard, mental health in the workplace can be a hard, hard thing to figure out because it is influenced by so many other factors in the world as well. We do have a responsibility to tackle it, but it is a hard thing to figure out. Compensation, financial health is something that I think businesses can tackle more easily than other parts of the wellness ecosystem. And so um, I think that it's a, um, a, a trajectory that I'm really excited to see kind of continue to evolve, not to say it's not going to be without its challenges, but I'm really excited to see where that kind of continues to go. So that's yeah. one. Two, um, there are some really cool companies out in the world building in the people analytics space, trying to better inform the business of who is in that business from a person perspective, from a skill set perspective, and making businesses, I would argue, more agile because of that. And especially in a moment like we're in right now, like one of the common conversations I feel like myself, I feel myself having, and this might relate to your L&D friends that were on um, before I have been, um, but the concept of like reskill, upskill has been a big part of those conversations. How do I do more my existing team? How do I think of having kind of central nodes on my team that then maybe have a a couple of contractors or freelancers that are supporting them? And so this kind of reinvention of of the uh, kind of uh, only full-time employment being the option for folks to consider, but rather kind of just a variety of structures there, that that I'm really kind of curious to see. And that comes with this kind of reskill, upskill concept as well, especially as teams in, you know, maybe the near future here don't have as much financial flexibility with adding adding people onto the team. They need to think a little bit more about how do we 
how do we support our current team members to be able to do more and or different things? And so I'm really excited to see where that continues to trend as well. And so people analytics space plus the rescale upscale L&D stuff um, being really interesting too. I love the second part of what you were saying. Um, I definitely agree with the first. Second part, I think, is interesting because I think most folks say, oh, future of work is hybrid and remote work, period. Like, that's what people are talking about. And I think the flexible component of hybrid and remote is important, but flexible goes beyond just where you physically work. Um, and in seeing how much like gig work and contract work, again, Gen Z, thank you. Gen Z is just pushing all of our boundaries. Thank you so much. Um, like they're pushing for more ownership over their work, which means that one, workplaces are going to have to be more flexible with it. But then two, it's giving them more flexibility to 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 do the things that, they're fo- that they want to focus on. So um, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And not to take us down a rabbit hole here, but I'm also hopeful that some of those shifts also kind of move society in a couple of areas. So I think about the fact that healthcare is tied almost entirely to our jobs right now, which feels like a very broken system in a lot of ways. And so as these kind of reimagined relationships with work are coming into fruition, little bits and pieces here and there, I'm hopeful that we have impacts on other societal pieces, things like healthcare getting attached to your job and stuff like that as well. It's a movement. The future of work right now is a movement. We'll say that. So <laughs> clearly you and I can have a longer conversation about 10 more subjects that, that we just touched on, but um, I'm really glad that we were able to do this now. So thank Likewise. you. For- I'm, I'm going to strive to be your first, second visitor uh, on the <gasps> podcast. So yes. I'm signing myself up for like, whenever you're ready for round two, we'll talk, we'll tackle some of those topics as well. Deal, deal. I was already thinking of it. So I'm glad you suggested it. Awesome. (laughs) Well, Jim, it was so, so great to have you on here. I can't wait to have you back to talk about whatever our round two minds uh, want us to head into. Um, Where can folks find you if they want to connect with you? Yeah. So I'm physically in Chicago. So for anyone that's listening that would love to grab a cup of coffee or um, be able to say hello, um, I try to make my rounds in some of the networking events, but um, I'm in Chicago. So feel free to find me here. Um, Virtually, uh, I am all over LinkedIn. Uh, Jim Conti, just give it a quick search. You'll be able to find me on the Hyde Park website as well. Uh, My email is just jim at highparkvp.com. So if anyone is listening and has questions about anything we've chatted about or um, is interested in connecting with our investment team as well, um, give a little kind of parameter of what we do for investing, um, but happy to to help uh, make connections there as well. Um, And then other than that, just uh, in the good in the good spirits of the universe. I'll put that in there too. Oh, I love it. I love it. And I get to test Jim is great to follow on LinkedIn because he always is posting about awesome events that are happening or just like helpful things that as people in HR, you are thinking about. We'll, we'll just put it at that. He is thinking about the same things you were also yeah. thinking about. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening to Capital P and People Work. Fam, we will catch you next time with a whole new conversation on the intersection of people, wellness, and the future of work. Until then, make sure to rate our pod and share it with your favorite people, people. We'll talk soon. Mm-hmm.